Welcome to Fireside with Voxcake, podcast for professional public speakers. I'm your host, Richard Roger, the founder of Voxgig.com, which is an online community and service for speakers and event professionals. In each episode, we sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your onstage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. Karina, welcome to the Fireside with Vox Gig podcast. It's great to have you here today. Uh, hello, Richard. Thanks for having me. Good stuff. Uh, we're delighted to have you here. Um, and I'm delighted to have you on because I think you can offer some really, really interesting uh, professional perspectives on public speaking, uh, especially those of us who have to do public speaking for our work. You are an expert in... <laughs> personal branding. So before we get on to the uh, embarrassing speaking, embarrassing stories about your first time uh, speaking <laughs> and all that sort of stuff, um, can you tell us a little bit about personal branding um, and, and just, just kind of take it from the top because uh, I'm a techie, I'm a nerd, and I, I'm, I'm, although I know it exists, I don't hugely know what it is. Okay, so um, just so your audience gets an idea about this, I am currently the CEO and brandmaster at KO by Karina Okish. This is a next generation branding and marketing company. And I'm also a serial entrepreneur, best-selling author, speaker, coach, consultant, and trainer. And I've also written a book, a bestseller with Brian Tracy called Cracking the Code to Success, um, in which I spoke about elite personal branding. So we're also going to talk about the subject of elite personal branding in comparison to personal branding. Um, in order for you to get an idea, personal branding is something that in the past was used by presidents and by celebrities and the ordinary individual would never ca- uh, have the chance to do it. But nowadays, I think branding and especially personal branding is getting a lot of heat in the media. And it usually refers to an array of processes and of things that all create an ensemble in order to position you in a superior position in comparison to your competition. So it's basically the ensemble of things that you do in order to make sure that you sell your products, your services, or yourself, whether that is as an entrepreneur or whether that is as a corporate manager or as an employee. And some of these These things, let's call them things, are a personal logo, a personal website, but it can also refer to the way you speak in meetings, the way you dress yourself, and to the way you you end your emails. So it it really depends on your goal and on what you want to achieve, and it involves an enormous strategy. When you talk about a personal brand strategy, do you, do you mean deciding your ultimate goals? Well, yes, that is definitely the first steps. Well, when we create a personal brand, the first step is figuring out where you want to be. So do you want to be the best, uh, the most well-known surgeon in your, in your town? Or do you want to be uh, an acclaimed artist at the national level, or do you want to be an internationally recognized nutritionist? So you see personal branding works in all domains and all fields. 
and you can be perceived as the best in in your in your town or at the global level that is the first step you need to know where you want to go and then the next thing is you need to know where you are so where do you stand from a from the perspective of personal branding do you have social media do you use that social media how do you use that social media because a lot of people um, use social media erroneously from a personal branding perspective they would use it to merely have conversation with their family or with their friends when in fact social media is great for selling your personal brand for for posting pictures from conferences, for posting pictures from inside your company, for showing your successes. That way the whole world can know what you can do. So to move back to, to get back to my initial train of thought, you need to know where you are and where you want to be. And then there's a series of steps that need to, that need to take place in order for us to get you where you want to be. Yeah, I think that is a that is a really useful way uh, to think about public speaking activities. So often our listeners would be asked by their manager to take on a public speaking engagement at a at a public conference and you know a lot of people get so focused on just getting through that talk that they forget that if if they see it in a wider context and see it as part of of building that personal brand it it perhaps makes the the uh, the fear of public speaking uh, a little less intense because you can see a bigger picture. You can see it has a purpose uh, beyond just the individual talk. Oh yeah, definitely. Wider context is something very important in personal branding as well as in speaking. You know, as a speaker, every talk you hold, you need to know why are you there? Is it to sell yourself as a competent employee? Is it to sell an idea to a client? Are you there to promote a product or a service? You'll always need to have the goal in mind. You're not just talking for the mere purpose of talking. And then after you have the goal in mind, you need to think about all the follow-up activities that you need to do. Um, will you will you send emails to the audience after that? Uh, do you need to schedule meetings and so on and so forth? It really depends on the situation. Yeah. And, and um, of course, you also have quite a bit of experience public speaking, which is why you're here with us today. Uh, I believe you've done some uh, TEDx events. Um, how was that? Is that? I mean, is that as intensive as doing a full TED event? Um, and is that something that people should should aim to as, as part of this personal brand strategy that people should aim to to end up doing as a public speaker? Well, I think you have a very good question here because... Um, technically, if you're invited as a guest speaker at a TED or a TEDx event, you are considered that you have a, an idea worth sharing. So obviously you would need to be a subject expert in order to be invited at TEDx. So yeah, definitely it is a branding strategy, but you mustn't also forget the idea underlying when it comes to TED conference, TED conferences and that is to have the amazing opportunity to share your idea with hundreds and thousands of people from all over the world who might listen to your talk online. And so, yeah, I talked um, at TEDx about the Olympics of life. And this is a formula that I developed as a professional coach. It is a formula that works in the digital era and helps you, the individual, to achieve massive success. It was really intensive. But it was, I was very happy to be able to share 
the knowledge that I've researched for a while now with, with the audience. It also helped with building my personal brand. That is true. From what I understand with the the, uh, the TED Talks, um, they expect you to practice. They expect you to rehearse. I think you have to do uh, you have to do the talk a day beforehand or something. Yeah, it depends on it depends on the the event really. But I did get the chance to rehearse it once. That is true. Fantastic. So that was that was uh, probably uh, I would say one of your uh, finest talks. Uh, but can you remember? Can you take us back to the, the very first time you spoke in public, and what was that like? I think that would be hard for me to pinpoint because I have been talking in public um, from early high school. So as the president of the Students' Council and I was in the European Youth Parliament. So I've been dabbling in public speaking as a child, let's say. But I think the most nerve wracking moment was when I, even though I was doing it for a while, at some point I decided, oh, I'm going to take this up as a career. And then uh, it all became nerve wracking. So when I had the pressure of it maybe becoming a career, it became to be nerve wracking. So it took me a while to, to forget that I actually want this to become a career for me in order to calm my nerves. It's very interesting, but I guess a lot of people go through this. When the stakes are very high, you become more nervous. So you need to work with yourself and uh, you need to tell yourself that the world is not going to end if you're going to miss a few words or a couple of sentences. I think that's uh, that, that, that's almost it's almost inspiring and, and liberating, uh, especially for for those of us who suffer from fear of public speaking, which apparently is is is, is the number one fear uh, yeah. of people in the United States, even worse than death, apparently. Um, to understand this, these different levels, and you are you had obviously reached a comfort zone in your public speaking, but once you took the step to do it professionally. It, it, then it was a new game and you, you exactly. had to overcome the fears or different type of fear again. Exactly. And to make matters worse, uh, because obviously I speak mostly in English, but I also have a few talks in my native language, which is Romanian. And because I, I did all my studies in English and because I've been speaking in English um, for a very long while, when I started speaking in Romanian, I started to feel uncomfortable about how I put the words into sentences in Romanian. So that was another level of feeling stressed. You'd learned the skill in, in a second language, English, and yeah. Yeah. you still had to practice to transfer it. Exactly, exactly. And that is something to keep in mind for the audience. Because you're fluent in one language, it doesn't mean it will naturally work in the other language as well yeah and i think that i think the, the there's a there's a significant challenge in the way the world works today if you are a native english speaker i think you you get this kind of inbuilt advantage uh you don't have this additional challenge of speaking in a second language and is that something that because if you were speaking in, in high school presumably that was in in romanian first uh how did you face that challenge of learning to to do public speaking and, and give, give good talks in a second language? Well, I mean, so obviously, as I said, I've had, I've done all my studies in English. So presently I'm a doctor of applied leadership candidate at the Monarch Business Institute of Switzerland. That's in English. 
um, I have a political marketing master of arts degree from Rome Business School, but that was in English as well. Um, and I did a Bachelor of Arts in Politics at Queen Mary University of London. So obviously I had to study everything in English. I had to learn and train in English. And even throughout high school uh, at the European Youth Parliament, everything was in, in a second language. So it wasn't really a problem for me. I hear it is a problem from other people, but I've never experienced it. It was more difficult to me because I've listened to Tony Robbins uh, speaking in English, obviously, yes, and to Brian Tracy and to Jack Canfield. And I knew these people and I've learned their mannerisms and their way of behaving. It was difficult to me to transition back to my first language where we didn't have any uh, examples of great speakers. So it was the, the reverse situation for me, to be honest. Oh, that's a really interesting insight. Of course, yeah, in the, the Anglophone culture, there's these, these sort of underlying assumptions and, and professional speakers like Tony Robbins have particular mannerisms and all that sort of stuff that aren't particularly transferable. So exactly, exactly. You, have to, you have to create the leadership when it comes to, to speaking in Romanian. I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. But another thing to learn um, for everyone really is you need to also take into consideration the audience that you're speaking to. So when I, for instance, speak to a Nigerian public, I will behave differently as a speaker than if I were to speak to a Romanian public, because every culture is different. And as a speaker, it is good to learn a little bit of what makes them tick in order to not uh, be the exact opposite of what they expect in a speaker. Yes. Tailoring, tailoring what you're doing to the audience is, um, is a theme that's, that's come out with, with many of the, the people we've spoken to on this, on this podcast. Uh, and speaking of learning, uh, one of the best ways to learn, I believe, I, I, you may agree uh, or not, is by making mistakes. Your mistakes teach you much more than your successes, I think. With that in mind, could you talk about the worst talk you've ever given and what went wrong and what, what you learned from it? Okay. Um, I'm not sure if it was the worst talk, but it was a situation which I have a negative memory of. I was at this female oriented event. We were talking about women empowerment and we were talking about how women don't have as many mentors as as men do and the difference between coaching and mentorship and sponsorship. And so what happened was it was a panel and there were uh, four other women on all of those women had um, three times my age. And so usually what happens is um, they tend to take everything I say with a pinch of salt initially because I'm much younger than okay. them. And it was very uncomfortable because we got into an argument in regards to the true purpose of a mentor. And now I was feeling very comfortable with the idea of mentorship um, because I have... Um, I have been studying it for a long while. I've had numerous international mentors. So I really felt like I knew what I was talking about. But I, what I didn't anticipate was that these women did not experience mentors in the way that I did. So I was saying basically that a mentor needs to truly uh, understand your position and take responsibility for the advice that he or she gives you. 
and they were saying that that is not the case. And this turned out into a huge argument on stage. Oh dear. <laughs> and so, oh dear. And it was not really good because most of the women were already established CEOs of, of Fortune 500 companies and so on. So it, it wasn't really a bad moment for me in so much that it, I believe it became a bad moment for the audience because that's, that's not what the event was supposed to be about. And it actually proved that it is more difficult for women of different generations um, to, say, um, create a lucrative relationship. So I guess the, the advice to take from that is that you need to know if you're a panelist or if you're in a conversation, you need to know where everyone is coming from to make sure that you don't pardon my uh, language or piss off the other people and ruin the moment. Yeah, panels are, uh, for me, one of the most difficult things to do at um, conferences. Uh, and and uh, some of the people we've spoken to have, have, have even given the advice of just don't do them, uh, stick to doing talks. Um, they, they do seem to be a bit of a minefield. Well, um, I prefer panels, to be honest. Okay, well, very good. <laughs> You've gone through the hard, the hard experience and you're at the other side. You know but what it depends, You know, it depends on the topic. Yes. It depends on the topic. Because if you really feel like you know the topic very well and if you feel comfortable with the other panelists, then it shouldn't be a problem. But not everyone is your friend, as I'm sure you know. And there are a lot of people who make it their mission to antagonize you for no reason at all, and to ask you difficult questions. But, but as you start dealing with those negative questions, you gain more confidence, and then you, you become a confident panelist, I believe. And there are people who prefer panels, and there are people who don't. Sure, there is the option of not doing them, but there, then there are other professions in which it is mandatory to do them. So for politicians, for instance, or for yes. consultants and some other types of professionals, you need to be able to dare on the spot answer a question. Otherwise, you're not credible. Yeah. I, I, perhaps the takeaway is that the skills that you need for a panel are different from giving a talk. Definitely. They're both things that happen at conferences, but they're actually quite different in the skill set that you have to bring to the table. That is that is very true. And not everyone is right for everything. Yeah, because you often, if, if you do finally, you know, get speaking gigs at conferences, panels are one of those things where I, I've also organized conferences, uh, you know, where you often have panelists pulling out at the last minute or speakers who said they would do it, not doing it. So conference organizers often end up in the situation where they're running around the conference dragging random speakers onto panels, you know, and then the first couple of times that ha that happened to me, I was very flattered, but <laughs> if you're not good at panels, <laughs> maybe it's not such a good idea. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think again, it depends on the situation and the event because sometimes it ends when you have someone last minute and they don't have anything rehearsed, it ends up being better than it was meant to be initially. Absolutely. I don't know if you've experienced that as an event organizer, but I've, I've seen and I've experienced moments in which you've had something rehearsed that didn't come to happen and then you needed to be spontaneous 
for a moment or, or two and it turned out even better than you could have possibly imagined. Yes, it does happen. I think especially when the speaker or person is coming from a place where they have a, a deep understanding of the subject matter and, and, and deep experiences sometimes painful experiences you know when they they make themselves a little bit vulnerable and give you a bit of truth uh that certainly comes out i um i, I wanted to return to the the tedx talk that you gave um, yeah. and the question i want to ask is uh, let's say that i have uh, spoken at a few meetups and i might have even spoken at one or two sort of secondary tracks at conferences and i'm i see uh, you know i'm thinking about my personal branding and my career. I see public speaking as a way to uh, advance. Um, and I also see, you know, that there's the TEDx and TED domains and audiences, and that's a wonderful thing to, to put on your resume. But how do I go from uh, a sort of a, a junior level speaker? Uh, and let's say I'm, I'm, I'm a relatively competent speaker, but nothing special. How do I go from that level to uh, being accepted to do a TEDx talk and, and progressing uh, along that particular path. How do, how do I go from A to B? Well, I believe there's not uh, one specific way, but as you know, a lot of people have become speakers recently. So while it's in the past, it was something quite unique to be a speaker. Nowadays, it's really not. So you need to, as with everything, figure out your niche. What makes you different? What makes you special? What can you really talk about that is, that is different from what the other people are doing? That's the first step you need to take. Okay. And then, of course, um, as much as we've been talking about it, the personal brand makes the entire difference because event organizers will firstly interact with you through your website, through your social media, through the pictures that you have online. And if what they see is not something that they think they might be looking for as event organizer, or conference organizers, they will not give you the time of day. It's kind of like, as I'm sure you know, with actors and you know, producers yeah. will not give them the time of day if they're not what they're looking for. It, it starts to become the same way with speakers. So the idea is how will you project your image in the digital world? So on the internet in a way in which you become attractive for the event organizer. What is the value that you would add to the conference? And when you figure out how to have an interesting image that attracts a specific kind of organizer is the way how you move from point A to B. Because as, as, as speakers, we need organizers to book us and to make events happen. Otherwise, sure, we could organize our own events, but uh, mostly we're invited to, to speak at events organized by other people. And those other people need to know about us somehow. Then, of course, you could be doing a smaller talk and an organizer from a big event could be there or they could hear about you and be interested in your person and then invite you to meet you and then invite you on stage. But they would still have to go through the process of screening you. So who are you on social media? Um, who do you know? Uh, who is in your network? Where have you spoken at? What is your academic background? It, it depends on the subject because on, in some subjects, it is important to have a rigorous academic background and for other um, speaking engagements, you don't really need to. It really, it really, again, comes down to where you are, where you want to be and how you build that image 
in order to be attractive for the event organizer. Yeah, it's a good perspective. You have to think, especially to view it holistically, that, you know, starting from the the position of what's, what's the thing that makes me unique? What's, what's my story that I can tell or my message and then making sure that the personal branding that you do on social media and elsewhere is consistent with that. You've also written books and I'm sure you've come across this. Publishers have said this to me, this idea of the author platform. Um, where, you know, they'll publish books when they know that the author has enough of an audience that they can help sell the book. Uh, and it sounds like you need to think in terms of a speaker platform as well to ultimately exactly. those higher level speaking gigs. Exactly. But it takes a while to get there. Yes. So what I would, what I would like to make clear to the audience is something that I wish I knew when I started it takes a lot of effort to become a well-known speaker and it takes even more to be known at a global level. It might even uh, take decades. And until that point, it's not sure you can make speaking your career and you have to do an array of things because as more speakers are popping up, you need to uh, constantly evolve and change and get better training and be able uh, to attract wider audiences. So it is a, an enormous effort to make a speaking career in itself. Yeah. I mean, you, you're a good example, I think, of, of using an array of things to move that forward. I think you, you obviously have the brand agency and the mentoring. I think you do training as well. Yeah. And I, I believe you, you, you run a hotel or a resort as well. Yeah, that is true. It, it, it started as a family-owned company, <sighs> okay. my, my family's company, and then Obviously, I took over and now it is a four-star luxury resort and establishment. It has received a few national acclamations and uh, international ones. And I'm, I'm really proud of that as well. It is in my uh, native town in Transylvania. Wow. Okay. Um, and you write books as well, of course. Yeah. So what I, what I mean is we now live at the unique time where you as an entrepreneur can do a bunch of things. You can dabble in a, in a bunch of things and you can create a powerhouse. And I always knew that that is something I want to create. And I always uh, trained myself and prepared myself in a way in which I would be able to manage all of these things and handle all of these things. That takes preparation in itself. And it's again, not for everyone. Not everyone wants to be running around doing a bunch of things. Some people prefer to become exquisite in that, in that one thing, and that's okay. If you do follow the this, this, this strategy that you followed, uh, and it, it sounds like discipline and time management is a big part of that because if you do so many different kinds of things, you know, from the outside, one would say perhaps you have to make compromises and not reach the goals that you want to in each of those domains. Uh, do, do you find that's the case or... Um, are you happy with a more practical and pragmatic approach and accepting some, some of the issues that come along with such a, a wider range of activities? I've never had this question before. So this, this is really interesting for me now. Um, compromises. I've never saw it that way. Like I never perceived that I've made any compromises to my career in any way, because if I, I've had the right people to install in each, in each position of power in each of the departments. Um, but then again, I had to train those people to reach at that level. And after I've trained those people and constructed my team, it was pretty 
easy from that place onwards to to proceed with that particular business or with that particular venture. And then there's also the idea of not putting all your eggs in one basket, not because I don't fully believe in everything that I'm doing, but it is because uh, with the technology, with the developments in technology and uh, with globalization, things are so fickle. You never know what is the context going, what the context is going to facilitate for you. So I never perceived that I've ever compromised something, but I did try to be pragmatic and think what would be the smartest way forward. Sure, I could have probably done some things at a more glamorous level, but after all the research that I've done and the people who attained fame and glory and the people who left their mark on humanity, I realized that the glamorous choice is not always the best one. Yes, because it, it does involve compromises. And some of those choices have, have, have hidden costs that it's, it's not as easy to see, especially on, on, on the personal side. I, my motivation for asking that question is really uh, more from the, uh, from the theory of entrepreneurship and, and building organizations and companies and, and achieving goals, because ultimately it's sort of the art of achieving things despite being incredibly resource constrained. and it is about choosing what to focus on and what things are, are, are fundamentally important and which things are problems you really can't fix. But it sounds like you, you've, through your team, um, you've really found a way to address a lot of those issues. Yeah, I mean, you know, nobody has ever done it alone. And the people who say they did it alone, they're liars. Uh, because you do need a team of people uh, that you trust in order to to do so many ventures and to run so many companies and do so many things. It's not like you can do it all alone. So especially if, um, if you're the type of solo entrepreneur, I would definitely, I would definitely advise to start with, you know, growing your personal brand, focusing on one venture, focusing on the second venture and not try to do all the things at once. In order to do many things, you need to have a system that works already in place. And on that system, on that stable basis, you can start adding and subtracting other things or other endeavors. But if you don't have a strong base, you will never be able to manage anything. And then uh, another idea here that is not talked about so much in business development, but it is a combination with personal development. I believe health is essential. And as entrepreneurs, we don't talk about it enough because there is no way you can do so many things that is that are expected of an entrepreneur nowadays without taking care of your health, without, without having the metabolism to, uh, to be able to constantly put yourself to the pressures of entrepreneurship. And then there's also the issue of time management. And to that, I would like to add the issue of energy management, because all of us have the same time in a day, but the idea is how do you allocate that time and how you allocate your energy resources to what you have to do because your energy is limited in a day. So you need to be sure you're focusing on the right thing. And nowadays you have so many distractions. It is often difficult to keep the right thing to, to know, to know, to focus on the right thing. That's a really uh, useful mental model, I think, for looking at what activities you're going to do during the day. Uh, it's not just about 
having the time, you know, you can't decide to suddenly work 20 hours and achieve the same output that you achieve in the first four, in the last four hours, because you're going to deplete that energy budget as well. The energy budget is more important than, than the time, really. I agree with you. Fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's a really good way to look at it. Karina, uh, this has been um, a really, really, really interesting talk. Um, you have so much to teach um, and, and you are a teacher as well. Is there, some, is there a way that uh, people who are listening to this can learn more from you? Um, you know, obviously you publish books and materials. Do you do anything else? Yeah, so people can go on my personal website. That's karinaokish.com. Karina with a K. And there you also find uh, I'm launching a new course. It's an online branding course named Personal Branding 101, How to Build a Powerful Personal Brand. Uh, and it encompasses a step-by-step start from scratch course for creating a powerful personal brand. And people can learn how to sell their products and services using the power of personal branding, how to create a visual identity that defines an authentic brand and many others. So I would just advise going to my website and there you can find this course as well as a bunch of other free materials um, that you can learn hopefully some stuff from. Yeah. Okay. That sounds really good. Cause that's all the, the sort of practical implementation of the ideas that we've been discussing here. That is, uh, that is really, really useful. So Karina, thank you so much. Uh, this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you very much for, for sharing all of your experiences with us. Well, thank you for having me. And I'm, I hope that I did offer some um, advice. At least it was from the heart. <laughs> absolutely. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Just a few things before the embers fade and we wrap up another episode of Fireside with Voxkick. You can find notes and links from this podcast at voxkick.com slash podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art not especially easy to master, but a skill like any other, one you can also learn. Visit foxgig.com newsletter to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Please also leave a review that helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact me directly, please email me, richard at voxgig.com. If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, just let me know and I'll add you to our supporters page. Till next time, remember, take a deep breath, pause, and step forward.